Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Adoramus Bulletin. In this episode, I sit down with Father Boniface Hicks, who is a Benedictine monk. He's the director of the Institute for Ministry Formation at St. Vincent Seminary in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. And we sat down to talk about the silent prayers of the priest in the liturgy. This is such an important topic, and we had a really great conversation about this. So without further ado, another Adoramus interview. Hi, Father Boniface. How are you doing today? Doing great, Jesse. Thanks. Great to be with you. It, it is good to be with you as well. I was thinking in honor of the topic for today of, of maybe just starting the entire podcast in silence and just let people figure out what's going on. But I figured for an audio medium, that probably would not be too bright. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So, so uh, you speak a lot about silence and you've written some stuff for Adoramus and we have some stuff coming up in the near future. And uh, I really want to dive into this. This topic because I think it's incredibly important. I, I heard a very wise priest once say to me that uh, practicality and uh, pragmatism are the enemy of the liturgy. And I think mm. sometimes when we get to the parts of the mass or or even just personal prayer that's silent, we can't handle it because we're so used to efficiency and and uh, you know practicality in liturgy and then also pers- uh, personal prayer. So uh, first, can you give me just a general introduction into the importance of silence and then maybe we can dive into a little a few different areas where maybe we could take those apart. Well, I think there's a, a couple of different things to pay attention to when we're talking about silence in the Mass. And the, the series that I'm doing for Adoramus is specifically directed toward the prayers that the priest offers that are not meant to be vocalized. And so they're really intended to be spoken by the priest to God in a low voice. So he does uh, mouth them, uh, speak them quietly. Uh, he's not just thinking them. Uh, they are expressed and they're part of the liturgy, but they're not for the people. They're between the priest and God. And so that has its own kind of qualities to it. And then in addition to that, in terms of the Mass, there are silent periods that are intentional for the entire congregation to be silent and everybody to to pray uh, silently without music filling the space and without people talking in different ways. And so that's, uh, that's another area that, of course, was broadly expanded in the Mass prior to 1962 or uh, prior to the, the Novus Ordo and now is, uh, is, a, is a bit reduced and has uh, its own particular qualities in the, in the Novus Ordo Mass. But, but silence in the Mass is a, is a really rich topic and you're exactly right. It, it fights against or, or it, it, it presses against. There's a tension with that pragmatism that's really important for us to pay attention to. Uh, I remember spending quite some time, uh, it was a very extended period of, of quiet and stillness. It was about five months over a course of a summer, and I was doing kind of a walking pilgrimage. And I remember uh, just, I was by myself most of the day, and then when I came home from that and I started hanging out with friends, immediately it was like, hey, let's go out. We're, you know, We haven't seen you in, in five months. Let's go do mm-hmm. this. And I felt a little anxiety of like, whoa, this is so fast. The, the world is moving so fast. Mm-hmm. What is the benefit of sitting still and listening and maybe embracing that awkwardness or that anxiety that you feel when it's uh, too quiet? Yeah, silence is really valuable for us 
to match pace with God a little bit more. You know, God works in millennia, and uh, now, of course, he's in every detail, and for us, uh, for him, you know, a thousand years is like one day, and uh, one day is like a thousand years. So uh, he can work in the very fine details, but he also works in broad strokes, and uh, a lot of times our faster thoughts and our more rapid responses tend to come from a more, little more superficial place, and to actually connect with deeper parts of ourselves, slowing it down. Uh, I like to think of it also like a, like a snow globe, you know, those things that they got a little image in them and you shake them up and the little snowflakes are, are flittering around. And the only way to get that thing to settle, to see the image clearly is to just hold it still. There's no way that you can shake it or move it or do something with it that'll speed up the snowflakes falling. And that's kind of how our souls are too, that if we want to see the image that God is placing there, if we want to hear the words that he's speaking, we just have to kind of let the, the dust settle, the snow settle to the bottom. And, and, and we just have to hold ourselves in a little bit of silence for that to happen. So it's, it's so good at the beginning of Mass to take time in silence, the beginning of prayer, just to take time in silence and to know that we're pretty revved up, that the world is pretty fast paced and it's a lot of sensory stimulation and we just have to let it settle. It's, it's so good for us. So let's talk first about the, the prayers that you mentioned that are sort of voce or, or said silently by the priest. Is it helpful for us in the congregation to know those prayers that we know what he's saying or 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 maybe that's not so important to us or, or we're like what are we supposed to be doing and how much of what the priest is doing are we supposed to be knowing and interacting with? Yeah, there's always a, a value to these things uh, to understand what the church is prescribing for the priest to do. And uh, some of that goes back to the, the mode of the, again, the uh, older form of the mass, the usus antiquor, that the, the priest is really modeling prayer in a certain way in the sanctuary. And the people are kind of invited to pick up as much of that as they're, you know, is available to them or they're kind of open to at the, at the time. The idea, one of the ideas, according to Pope Benedict of the Novus Ordo, was, was really trying to coordinate the prayer of the sanctuary and the prayer of the pews a little bit more. So, so coordinating, taking a, a, a pointer from what the priest is doing and what the priest is praying is certainly beneficial. Uh, I think it's also... Uh, well, as an example, the priest prays before and after proclaiming the gospel. And although he's carrying out a particular role in the proclamation of the gospel, it's good for the people also to pray before and after hearing the gospel. You know, so uh, likewise, well, the priest is preparing the altar. I have to say this is a, was a little breakthrough for me as I experienced the Mass as an unbaptized atheist, I didn't know what I was coming into. I had no background in it when I was in college. And I really thought we had like an intermission after the homily. You know, we said that we had the homily, we said this prayer, this long prayer together that I could never quite follow, and a couple other prayers that were going on. And then we got a little musical interlude while the priest set things up for the next act. You know, it's like, that's really how it struck me. Now, it also was influenced by the fact that I was going to Mass in, a, in, a, in an auditorium at Penn State. But but anyway, that's a, another <laughs> issue. But it's not it's not an intermission and it's not a time that we should like get up for a bathroom break because there's no action going on. It really is one of the most intense times of prayer. And and in fact, uh, one of the rubrics, you know, the un, 
rubrics in the in the sense of uh, the, the indications that people would give is that if you haven't made it in time for the offertory, then you haven't met your Sunday obligation, that at least you need to be there for the offertory. Now we, we tend to dial that back to the gospel or the homily or something like that. But the old thing was to be there for the offertory. It's really important. It's one of the most intense times that we offer ourselves with the, the sacred victim, well, with the, the bread and wine symbolically at the hands of the priest, and then that through the Eucharistic prayer is transformed and united to the sacrifice of Christ. So uh, that offertory is really, really important. And the priest is doing several silent prayers during that offertory, and we see his actions, and, and knowing what he's praying uh, can guide us, and then just freely to be able to offer ourselves is, is really, really valuable there. Along those same lines, the priest is also saying private prayers before and after Mass as well. So if what you're saying is true, and I assume that it is, and we're supposed to model the way the priest prays, wouldn't that suggest that we are supposed to make ourselves and prepare ourselves in prayer before and and after Mass? Absolutely. The And the prayers before and after Mass, my experience is that when people find those, they're like, why haven't I known about this? Where has this been all my life? You know, these are beautiful prayers. Prayers from St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Ambrose and, and uh, Pope Clement. And we just, anyways, this number of beautiful prayers before and after Mass. Some of them, like the Anima Christi, has entered a little bit more into the popular mind. And uh, we've, we've picked up on some of those things. But uh, you're you're absolutely right. The the prayers before and after mass. Now the 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 people. Well, even the pray, priest is not obligated to pray those specific prayers. But it's giving a sense of of what ways we can prepare ourselves best. And 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 as you say, the people are are well advised. And likewise, uh, before and after communion. So uh, during the offertory and then before and after communion, the priest is is offering these these kind of silent prayers uh, as said in a low voice and um, that's that's a beautiful time and in fact the the, pra- the prayers that the priest offers and I can I'm I, I, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me when priests say these things out loud over their microphone in in a stage whisper or you know in a full voice or whatever because I'm anyway I like the rubrics and I like to follow what the mass indicates but I can also appreciate the sentiment they are so beautiful that you want to share them with people now there are better ways to do that than to violate the rubrics but uh, the point being you know I can appreciate uh, those those prayers before especially before communion. Um, are, are, would be beautiful for people to memorize and to pray, and uh, and likewise the the, the purification prayer. Um, I, I also like to do. I like to do both of the ones from the Usus Antiquior uh, because I find the other one uh, also very beautiful. That that was uh, removed from the from the Novus Ordo. But um, anyway, beautiful prayers there that can really help us to enter into those times more prayerfully during the Mass. Well, maybe we should have somebody write like a vesting prayer for the domestic church where like I'm putting on my suit and tie and <laughs> have a little have a little vesting prayer plaque on the wall. And I, but but I know we joke about that, but it, there is something about that. Right. Are we are we readying ourselves? Are we preparing ourselves for the sacred liturgy and the sacrifice that we're about uh, to encounter? So uh, move, moving on to the the. Uh, the other parts of silence prayer that we're talking about, the actual just moments for the silence of the entire congregation. And so there's a few of those. Where are those in the Mass, and and maybe why are those periods of silence for the congregation? 
Yeah, there's a, a little period, right? Uh, well, as we've talked about before Mass, there's already a fruitful time of, of prayer. Um, it's not mandated to be silent. But uh, then at the penitential rite, that we actually pause. Uh, maybe we don't pause quite long enough to make an entire examination of conscience, but it should be a substantial enough pause that we can really call to mind what we've prepared in advance, for example, or at least allow the sentiment to arise in our hearts of our own sinfulness. We should be familiar enough with that to feel our own poverty and unworthiness to enter into these uh, exalted mysteries. And then uh, a little period of time after the priest says, let us pray, and then there's a little space there, and I uh, am grateful to Chris Karstens, who described for us in a, in a talk, uh, in a conference, online conference that I, that I held. He said, you know, I like to just pour my, pour my prayers in there, and I encourage my children. I ask them what they did afterward, and I've started doing that now as a priest. I say, let us pray, and then I kind of, all this, I just allow all of these different intentions to just bubble up within me, and I kind of throw them in there. And then the priest collects those. The collect is offered, or the, uh, we used to call the opening prayer, but the, it's, the collect is the more uh, correct term for it. And we collect those together, and the priest offers them up to the Lord. Uh, and then the, the next time would be uh, after the readings, and, and that can be a, a little time of prayer for additional reflection. We talk about a responsorial psalm, so the psalm is itself a response to the reading, but silence is also a kind of response to the reading, and we, we allow some time for that to settle in and uh, allow it to rest in our hearts. And then likewise, after the homily, there's a, a fruitful time of a little bit of silent reflection to allow, just like we were talking about with the snow globe, you know, there's something that should get shaken up there. I, I think if a priest isn't doing a little, little shaking uh, that, to, to engage us and, and help us to see these are, these are the most important things in the entire world, in our entire lives. These are the sacred mysteries about eternal salvation. If, if this isn't shaking us up, I don't, I don't know what we're doing. So they should be intense. Well, anyway, it's intense in different ways, but uh, it, should be, it should be substantial enough that it's worth sitting in. And we kind of like, oh, wow, I, you know, I got to kind of get my heart together and, and let it move where it's going to move and take the next steps on my own. The priest should have kind of run me along a few steps and then I run a few steps on my own and, and then I'm, I'm there uh, in that time of silence. And then uh, after the uh, reception of Holy Communion, likewise, not only have I been talking about and reflecting on like the homily, but actually encountering the Word made flesh and receiving Him if I'm in a state of grace and prepared to do that or, or not receiving Him because I'm not in a state of grace and I have something to reflect on about that and really calling on His mercy in that case and, and asking for His love and making <laughs> plans to go to confession, I hope, but, uh, but, but resting in His presence. Uh, it really is that these are the greatest moments of our lives. And, and so allowing them to uh, stretch out a little bit and, and experience them is, is so, so crucial. So uh, all of those are, are, are uh, well mandated by the church, some period of silence and, and times that we should really look forward to. We, they tend to be, to be short enough because um, anyway, we do, it is, a, it is a ritual. It's not uh, devotional prayer. You know, there is a ritual that we're carrying out together, uh, but they're short enough that we need to know they're going to be there and we need to be ready to kind of lean into them. If we just sort of wait, if we're in a posture of sitting back and waiting for things to happen, 
then then we're going to miss them. So it's good to talk about them so we can kind of lean in and be ready for those uh, little periods of silence. So, like you, I, I, I hope you, you agree with me that the liturgy is the source and summit of, of everything that we do, which means that other liturgies and paraliturgical things and devotions all are derived from the preeminent sacred liturgy. So, does that mean if we were to say, let's do liturgy the hours, and we have those intentional moments of silence, maybe between different psalms or canticles, would, would we be able to say, okay, I'm going to take that principle from what I'm doing in the Mass and bring it to there, or even the Rosary, where maybe we take a little bit of time between the decades because uh, I you know I like everybody else sometimes you just breeze through it and yeah it sometimes becomes a little rote but but I believe if you have those little intentional silences like I've seen that in and prayed that in the liturgy of the hours and and you're just it's kind of like whoa okay something's happening you know what I mean and and again it's awkward but it means something so are are we to believe that that's true that we derive that from the liturgy too yeah absolutely I mean it's amazing how much five seconds can do. Really, an intentional silence. It doesn't have to be lengthy. A very short silence can make a significant difference. It can slow us down and get us out of that, like, getting it done, pragmatism, mentality, and just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just It might just be enough to reset, and, and that can be so helpful, moving into into the next psalm. As a Benedictine and in our monastery, the the practice is that after the psalms of the Liturgy of the Hours, we take 30 seconds uh, for every psalm, and then we take a full minute after the the reading, and we have a little bit more substantial, we have uh, lengthy readings at all of the offices, but but we take a substantial amount of time, and and our our, uh, soloists and organists, and they have little clocks, you know, they watch it, so there's always a temptation to cut corners and speed it up, and uh, it's so helpful to, to introduce those times of silence, and helps to really slow things down and allow that uh, beautiful, the richness to settle into us. And as you said, spreading that out into our devotions as well. And, and, and certainly doing things like uh, holy hours and, and having those be entirely in silence, not just physical silence with a lot of reading, but even taking out the stimulation and sitting there and, and allowing ourselves to get in touch with what's going on inside of us and then bringing all of that to the Lord and opening that up to him. It's, uh, it's transforming. It'll, it'll, it'll transform our lives if we do that. Yeah, and one of the one of the best ways to experience this, I mean, obviously all the liturgies that we have, but in the Triduum, there are some really great liturgies in the Triduum and parts of the masses in the Triduum where you're just it's just totally silent, and because there's there's a severe reverence of what's happening in Christ's Passion, and so I, I just you know I think we probably could all do a little bit better to have a little more silence or intentional silence, not just in an everyday lives but but while we're at mass as well so so father thank you so much for for all of this and and we look forward to reading the the future articles that you're going to be putting out uh through autoramus and uh thank you so much for your time god bless it's been great to be with you jesse thanks so much